And so the biggest picture I learned is, you know, whether it's fishing, whether it's spending time with your wife, your kids, your, you know, family, it's just live every moment like it's your last. And it's so cliche because I heard my dad tell me when I was growing up, you know, but I mean, there's a lot of truth to that because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. I'm Hunter Bland, and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast today. Today, I've got a great guest. Hunter Bland is a, was a college bass fisherman. Now he's moving into being a bass fishing coach. We had him on uh, a few weeks ago with ho- the whole team. But now we're going to learn a little bit more about Hunter's story himself. Hunter has achieved some notoriety, not exactly in the best or most desirable way. He was ejected out of his boat in a in a bad accident. Luckily, he made it just fine, but it was a freak accident. He was ejected out of the boat, and uh, because he was wearing his life jacket and because, you know, really, he got lucky and uh, he didn't get run over by his own boat or any of the other boats in the tournament. But today, Hunter's taking that experience, and he is using it for good and doing a lot of speaking and educating on boater safety. Hunter's got a great story. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation with Hunter Bland. All right, Hunter Bland. What's happening? Nothing much. How are you, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for doing this with me. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Um, So what's what's going on? What's your story? Um, I actually, uh, I I grew up playing a a lot of baseball, and that was kind of my big dream to go play college baseball. And uh, God had some different plans, and I ended up tearing my uh, hamstring a few times. And uh, kind of while you were playing baseball, while I was playing Mm -hmm. baseball, so that kind of set me back and put me on a different path. And I saw college fishing on the map and ESPN and everything. I said, well, I still like to compete. So I, I go on to uh, fish for the university of Florida and then stuff kind of goes crazy at that. And I become their president after being there for like, you know, three months or something, uh, really? became their secretary, then became their president. And then actually, uh, you know, had some, some decent success in college, a couple top twenties and stuff, fishing all the college, uh, FLW events and bass and things like that. And then, uh, uh you know, couple years ago i was actually in a a bad boating accident where my hydraulic steering came apart so then from that i kind of you know just wanted to help people through boating safety (laughs) um and so then i actually filmed a national psa with the safe boating council and uh next thing i know my phone started ringing uh from yamaha and skeeter and things like that and so here i am i'm actually skeeter yamaha's national boating safety advocate and get to fish the opens and uh you know have a a lot of passion for high school and college fishing because right that's on. my background. So uh, that hamstring injury, that is, I've hurt my hamstring one time. That is a horrible injury. How yes, did that sir. happen for you? Like- uh, I laid, I actually laid down. I was, I was not a, you know, home run hitter. Yeah. I was a small ball type guy and cause it was really quick. So I actually laid down one of the best bunts probably in my life. <laughs> and there's nobody at first base and I'm flying down the first base line and I go to touch first base and it just like, you know, you blow a tire. Yeah. It feels like you got <laughs> shot. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean like, yes. Sir. So you go down, did you yeah, get base to, to the base? All. I did. I was safe. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> and so how long does that take to, to heal for a young man? 
Uh, it normally it's pretty quick, and I use uh, uh, worked with UF Orthopedics to you know they were great, but I my problem was I kept blowing it. Right. So like I would like mend it and then I'd blow it again. Well, that, you know, I was talking to Rob. He's got a gastroc injury right now, and I happen to have a chronic thing going on with my calves. I don't know what goes on, but I've had a number of the calf injuries. And that's what I was telling him is like, you get it healed up to where it feels good. And yes, then sir. you go back and you think you're going to do it. And then you tear it worse. Yes, and then sir. it's this, is that what was going on with Pretty you? Like much. a repeating chronic thing? Yes, sir. Man, with those, especially the hamstring, there's just this fear of, did you have that fear of it happening again? Absolutely. Because it's like, it's a weird feeling that most people don't know. But like you said, it's like, you I don't know what it likes, what it's like to get shot up and right. never know. But I mean, it's like you blow a tire. Right. It's like you're running and especially like when you're pretty quick, you're just running and then it's just like something happens. So what did it happen? How did it happen the second time? Like you think you're over it. Oh, it's just a freak thing. I didn't warm up good enough. And then you, then it happens a- another time. Pretty much. I think a lot of times it happens like in, I was through rehab and everything and they're like, man, you're, you know, showing great progression and things like that. And next thing you know, like I'm running 60 yard dashes doing fine. My, my times are up, you know, my speeds back up to par. I play another game and I'm like out of the box, quick movement headed to first base. And it just, you feel it just pop again. Wow. And so on the second one, like, do you, I mean, at this point, what, you're 18, 19 years old? Mm, yes, sir, about 18. Yeah, so you're bulletproof for the most part right. in, the, in the rest of your life. Yes, sir. And then you have this injury that's like, damn, it happened again. Right. Like, so what is that? Are you even thinking, like, this could be a chronic thing or, or this might be the end of it? Or, like, at what point do you start thinking, man, this is, this is a bad thing that keeps happening? That's, I mean... When I blew my hamstring the first time, all the negativity in your head starts playing with you. Right. And I was like, man, it's just a setback, you know, for a major comeback. Like right. Right. Everybody always says. And then once it got to, you know, I'd probably spent almost an entire year back and forth trying to get it right. Because you'd have major little setbacks where you just wouldn't think that, you know, something just didn't feel right that day in therapy and stuff. Right. So next thing you know, you're like... That second time it blew, I was like, man, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to play anymore just because at this point I'd been working on it for like a year. Right. And you get really scared. Like right. it's going to happen again. Right. So the whole time, you're, anytime you're ever running, you're yeah. like, man, it's probably going to blow. So at this point, are you kind of thinking, well, baseball might not be in the cards. What am I going to do? Yes, like, sir. is that when it started? Like Pretty thinking much. about fishing? Pretty much. I, I was like, man, I want to compete. I didn't want to give up baseball because the biggest thing for me is like my biggest dream was to go play college baseball. And I had, I wasn't good enough to go play, you know, D one ball, but I had a lot of colleges I was talking to, um, in the D two range, some private school, stuff like that. I mean, I, I knew I was good enough to go play. Um, and I had a lot of discussions with coaches. I even went to West Virginia cause they invited me to a camp and stuff like that. And it's the hardest part was like, man, I know I got to throw in the towel, but there's all that stuff still lingering out right, there. Right. But you just, it got to the point where it's just the door is being closed. For right. Me. Right. And so fishing was like, that was a pre-existing. I mean, that club at, at your school has yes, been sir. going for a while, right? Yes, sir. Like, and it's UCF. What was it? What was the University school? of Florida. University of Florida. Yes, sir. So 
that's a pre-existing thing. Had you had any contact with those people over there before? Or? No, sir. Just the uh, University of Florida won when college fishing kind of got started. They won a national championship in mm-hmm. 2009 and 2010, I believe. So I had seen it online. I'd seen it published, but I'd been watching ESPN because I'd grown up fishing <laughs> and hunting and all that stuff. Right. So I saw it on ESPN and I just knew that they had a club and I was like, well, nonetheless, I got accepted in the University of Florida. I'll get my degree, start working on what I want to do there. But I, I'll see what fishing's like at the collegiate level at the same time. So had you fished tournaments before? Uh, not many, yeah. like very few. And then do you have a boat? Or, or anything? I did, my family had a boat, so my dad let me use his boat in collegiate tournaments. Okay. Right away? Like, yes, or, sir. Or do like you, right out the gate. What if you don't, like in the collegiate tournaments, in the collegiate level? What if, I mean, I'm sure that there's a lot of kids that want to do that, but they don't have a boat. Yes, sir. I mean, that's honestly one of the biggest dilemmas is finding a boat. A lot of times, I mean, you know, even people they know, family, friends will let them loan. Some dealerships have now, since college fishing started growing, some dealerships have honestly started allowing um, anglers and collegiate ang- collegiate teams to take boats from the dealerships as like demos and yeah. stuff. I mean, that's kind of rare, but there's a lot of people pitching in. So, I mean, it's the easiest way is if you got family or friends that can lend you helping hands or just know somebody right. that actually comes to the university. But you have to have a boat. Yes, sir. Like to get started. Yes, sir, you do. There's no, um, like in the, uh, you know, there is a, a, a non-boater division, like in professional tournaments or, or there's like a pro-am yes, sir. kind of thing. There's nothing like that in no, the college. No, sir, because it's all in a team format in college. So right. one of you has to have a right. boat. Right, one of you. Yes, but sir. Th- so there would be an opportunity for somebody to team up with somebody else. Correct. Like, Okay, that's cool. And but you you chose to bring the boat. Yes, sir. So then, how do you find your teammate? Uh, from that, we just kind of had a ours was like a club setting. Um, so we just kind of had meetings and get to know guys, and then just kind of we would rank ourselves with small tournaments on local bodies of water, and then just kind of figure out who you kind of gelled with the best as a partner. Hmm. Would you switch up the partners to figure sometimes, that out sometimes? But or? sometimes, you know, a lot of guys, they already knew somebody at the university or knew somebody that was fishing. So, you know, some guys had already pre-established partners. And then sometimes it was a matter of you two are both freshmen. You're going to fish together because that's all who's left. And right. You just made the best of it. Right. And is there a coach? No, so there wasn't a coach at the University of Florida. A lot of schools now have coaches, mm-hmm. um, but there's actually not um, – when I was president, I had a couple other guys that were helping me, secretary and vice president and stuff, but we ran everything through, it was student ran. Mm-hmm. So what do you do when you're, with your, you're the president of that, that organization? What, what kind of responsibilities do you, you have? You got figuring out funding, you got sponsorships, um, you got planning all the events, you got fundraising, you got, um, lodging figuring out all the finances of how you're gonna because we would fund some guys based on how much money we had we had raised um to go to different tournaments um so i mean it's like all the logistics that a professional angler would do you're just running it as a club so that and you got more people to worry about right and so what does the fundraising look like uh we would run like local tournaments pretty much and we would actually uh you know, use those as fundraising opportunities. Uh, we would rank ourselves. So we'd use it as like a club qualifier and give ourselves points on how we did. And then we would open it up as just a jackpot tournament. You pay 50, 60 bucks hmm. and we would keep, you know, 20% and okay. then the rest would be paid back out like any other bass tournament. Right. And what kind of a, of a, a budget do you have to have to support 
How many anglers, how many teams did you have on your... We had three teams that we would give gas money for, and we would pay for all of their hotel rooms. And then, you know, if they had any leftover, they could use it for food or whatever. But at that time, we were <laughs> we were balling on a college budget. We'd be eating peanut butter and jelly at night and using every ounce of, you know, right. every cent we had to be able to put gas in our trucks and gas in our boats. So what happens if somebody wins? Is there cash for the winner? There is cash. I mean, it's changed a lot in, in the past couple years but i mean a lot of times the that money will go directly back to the club okay not even none of it goes to the english no sir not the, everybody knows that level. going in right right so <laughs> it's more like a you know you're learning the ranks because it's such a high level now and there's been some incredible anglers come out of college fishing like jordan lee back-to-back bassmaster classic champion um, so he came up through the college circuit and, uh, yeah, so my friend like, Miles Berghoff too. Yes. He, Miles. I know Miles. He's a great guy. Yeah, so. yeah. He did. I think he was at UCF, right? Yes, sir. He was. Yeah. That's why I said UCF before, because I was, I was thinking about him, but, uh, yeah, he had a great experience there. For sure. Um, now he's fishing the FLA pro circuit. Hey, he just so. got 18th yesterday. Yes, All right, bro. That's uh really, that's really good. Yeah. He's it's, it's a tough way to make a living for sure. But, uh, there's a, there's a great, um, kind of springboard off of the college yes, sir. deal. And especially for somebody like yourself that is, that is figuring out all the logistics of the, of the money, because like everybody wants to do something that they're passionate about. And there's lots of people that are passionate about fishing. Yes, sir. And there's lots of people that are good enough angler to probably make it. But then there's this fine balance of how do you support it? Like, and so it's like, some people are like, well, it's not about the money, but it is about the money because <laughs> right. if you don't have the money, <laughs> right. then you can't continue to do what you love to do. So there's this real fine balance there. And a lot of people don't want to go there. They don't want to raise money. They don't want to sell themselves as sponsors, you know, or they, or they have a, a, a different opinion of sponsorship. Like the sponsorship is that I'm a great angler and you should sponsor me. Correct. And so what have you learned about sponsorship so far? The biggest thing that I've learned, and I kind of have a different take on it just because I've, you know, I'm younger than a lot of guys out there. Um, and, and I feel like coming up through the college ranks, you know, I've, I've been blessed with a lot of deals now um, that I actually made the connections when I was in college. Um, just like Humminbird and Mencota. I mean, they're great partners of mine. Um, for instance, they were at every single collegiate tournament I had <laughs> ever fished. And so, you know, we would always shake hands, talk. And then after I went, we were able to, you know, network and continue that relationship from college. Cause they do, an, they have an incredible, uh, collegiate program. And I was able to take advantage of that when I was fishing for UF. Um, but then they supported me after I graduated. And so what I've kind of learned is, College fishing is a huge networking experience, um, but I've kind of personally, my take on it is I've seen the industry kind of shift. I've heard a lot of things. I, I did a talk in Wisconsin a couple of years ago, and Kevin Van Dam was actually the keynote speaker, and he talked about, you know, gone are the days where you could catch him and get noticed. Mm. You know, that guy, he yeah. used to drop, you know, he's Kevin Van Dam. He dropped 30 pounds on the scales, <laughs> and everybody's like, my goodness, he did it for the fifth time this week. Right, <laughs> right. And so sponsors would just flock to him. But now there's so many guys out there that I think you got to have to have a little niche or, or be able to bring more than just fishing to the table. Yeah. Whether that's, you know, you have a nonprofit you can work with, you know, you work with a collegiate club, you do a lot with, uh, you know, young anglers. My personally, mine's boating safety. So that's really what I focus on. And I take a lot of passion and pride in that. 
and it allows me to continue to fish as well. But I'm networking when I'm fishing as well, trying to continue to help people boat safe. So the sponsor sponsorships, in my opinion, is is kind of changed. It's really hard for an angler, in my opinion, to just rely on catching a bass because there's a lot of people that can catch a bass not as great as that guy, mm-hmm. but they can sell a whole lot of products. And right. at the end of the day, if you're selling a whole lot of products, they're going to keep you around. That, I mean, I it's probably the number one asked question over the years. And it's interesting because Shaw Griggs, he's going to be in here yes, later. And Shaw was my mentor. And Shaw taught me a tremendous amount about the way everything works. And basically, he gave me a piece of advice that stuck with me to today and has been the 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 benchmark of any success that we've managed to have. And that is a simple thing. He said, you are worth your audience. Yes, you sir. are worth your audience. So if you can continue to grow your audience, if you can have a wider spread, you are worth more. It's a very simple piece of advice. It is. But it's profound and very, very true. And so when he told me that, there was no social media. There weren't websites. There wasn't even email. There was, okay, if that's the case, then I need to write articles. I need to take photographs. I need to do seminars. I need to do all of these things to try to increase the audience. And then as that's grown, I've grown with it. But uh, And then next came television and then more television and then everything else. But it's like now, today... There are so many other ways, like any person could have the size of an audience that the best angler, like what Kevin Van Dam was saying, like today, just a kid, an 11 year old kid catching bass in his backyard could have a bigger audience than somebody that wins a big tournament. I mean, and, and so that's something like there's that balance there to where it's like, you got to be good. You got to be able to manage your money and you got to be able to somehow uh, justify bringing in money and then hopefully you'll win something. But then you also have to create this audience and do this, this balance on social media, like, or something like what you're doing. Like you have this, this other angle that you're working like this boat, boater safety. So, I mean, what do young anglers, how do they balance that? Like the, the social media and, and all of these different opportunities that are out there, how do you how do you target one or two of those and be really good at one or two of those or spread yourself too thin and try to do a little bit of every one of these? What's your what's your kind of opinion or philosophy on on that? That's a that's a really good question. I think that's something being talked about a lot right now, especially with how broad high school and college fishing has grown across the country. And I really think if you can do one or two things, you know, really well, and it's kind of creates a niche for yourself, it's almost more effective Hmm. because there's a lot of guys out there doing, trying to do everything, but you know, they might be running so thin, you know, like for instance, I would love to get in the YouTube game, but I just can't wing it because I'm so busy with speaking and then, you know, tournaments and appearances and stuff like that. I would love to be able to film it all, but I know I won't be that strong on YouTube. So then I'm taking away the time that I could be into putting in seminars and things like that. How do you get, how do you, how do you, how do you get that wise at your age? Because that's a, that's a pretty, I mean, like a young person believes you can do everything, right? 
I mean, and then it seems like with a little with a little experience and a little bit of of knowledge or maybe a few mistakes of spreading yourself too thin, you decide I uh, can't do everything. So I'm going to pick and choose which what I can do and saying no to something is actually saying yes to something bigger. How do you get that? How do you gain that kind of knowledge or wisdom at your age? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I, honestly, I feel like it's been a little trial and error for me, but I've just tried to pay attention as, you know, as closely as possible to what's working. Um, and, you know, for me, I look at some guys like, you know, I did a video shoot in Texas and there was a, you know, a really, you know, uh, a guy that's very successful on YouTube, but I was watching him walk around and talk to his phone all the time. You know, he's walking, he's, he's walking to the boat ramp, talking to his phone. He's walking in the restaurant, talking to his phone. I mean, but he's got, you know, twice as many, well, he's got way more followers than I got, Right. but that's what he's good at. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm more, I feel like my strengths is I, I could talk and articulate about products a little bit better in person. So I try and use those, you know, really I don't know, good conversations and convert those quick, whether it's sales or anything like that. And, and it's honestly the big picture is it for me is I've kind of just, I've realized that I'm one person and I'd love to do everything. But if I spend all my time in these couple categories and work as hard as I can at those, that eventually, you know, everything will start gelling and collectively those two or three categories will kind of catapult me. Hmm. Whereas if I got 5% of effort and 50 categories, I'm in big trouble. Well, that's pretty wise. It really is. It's, it's, that's, uh, it's admirable that you can, can make that connection right now because, uh, a lot of people can't and they get spread too, too thin and then they're not doing anything very well. They're doing a lot of things, but not, not any of them are they doing very well. So the boater safety thing comes because of an accident that you had. Yes, sir. And I'm, I'm, you may have seen it, but, uh, I was actually, I got the whole thing on GoPro, but I was actually the two uh, the driver in the UF boating accident where the two guys, the hydraulic steering yeah. comes apart and it was caught on video. You saw that. So that was me. I was the driver in that. Wow. So thank the good Lord. We walked away from it with only some cuts and scratches. So let's go over that. Like, how did that, how did that happen? Like kind of like your hamstring, like all of a sudden just blam, just blam. Like, you know, everything had been all proper maintenance is done. Always check the boat. Um, everything was tight. I went over everything every night. It was just one of those freak accidents. And that's what I try to tell people a lot now with my work in boating safety is you can prepare for the unexpected, but you can't control it. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Right. So it's one of those things. I mean, we went through boat check fine. Everything's fine. We had been in the water before daylight for a while. Everything's operating fine. We blast off for two miles down the river. We come over a boat lake. The boat just kind of settles back down. I'd come off the gas, trim down, done everything that I know how to do. And next thing you know, it's just the hydraulic steering comes apart. Wow. I mean, it was, and we were both ejected at like 50, 55 miles an hour, somewhere in there. And the other person was okay too? Yes, sir. Yeah, my partner, Connor. So, I mean, it was, we we both walked away, thank the Lord, with just scratches and bruises and a crazy story. Were there people behind you racing? Uh, We were boat about, I think we were boat like, we were almost passing the first boat. We launched boat four that day and we were almost passing the first boat and there was 144 more guys behind us. Wow. And you're in a river. I mean, it was very scary. So, 
Is it light enough for people to see you in the water? It's light enough, but I mean, still, you look like Bob and Apples out there with all the boat boat right. wakes. So, I mean, people see a boat. A lot of people admit, you know, there was a, when the video came out, a lot of people are, man, your competitors didn't care about you. They're all racing by you. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, just, yeah, some people, they're everybody's tunnel vision because you got your adrenaline pumping in a tournament. The guys that are looking, you know, 360 saw us and looked, and if they looked long enough, they could realize we weren't on the boat. But it happened so fast that, you know, a lot of people couldn't even tell we weren't on the boat. It's kind of just like, it looks like the boat's over there, you know, just starting to fish or something. Right. So, I mean, it wasn't until people saw us, like, trying to get back into the boat till they realized something was going on. Wow. How far did the boat go? I, we actually stayed right there with it. I mean, the hydraulic steering comes apart. It does almost a full 360. And I was, my partner, you know, goes out 30, 40 yards from the momentum. And I actually, I mean, I'm only alive by like an inch. I missed hitting the side of the gunnel. I do, like, some crazy cartwheel you can probably see in the video and the craziest part for me is it the boat came back over the top of me and I was stuck underneath the boat. So, I mean, it felt like, you know, 30 minutes. But you had the kill on. switch on? Yes, sir. Kill switch saved my life and a life jacket saved my life. But the biggest thing I learned from that is I actually had a manual life jacket on, an inflatable. My partner had to cool, pull my uh, cord of my life jacket to inflate it. Really? So, I mean, there's a lot of times people... But he was 30 yards away. He swam, I mean adrenaline and some crazy stuff <laughs> wow so he swam right over to me he saw me pop up and he pulled my cord and then we just held on to each other and you know you're almost walking on water to get back into the boat because of all the adrenaline wow so it's a it's a crazy experience yeah and so did how soon does some kind of uh, a marshal or a, a the marine patrol or somebody come to help you we probably had another competitor boat there within like probably a minute of us going out i mean somebody that's you know racing to their spot probably and then uh, are you and had uh, just cell phone contact with the with the tournament officials yes, or? we called we had some i mean we were so shaken up we had somebody else called tournament officials and they actually you know flw did an incredible job uh that day because they tell you they have like a flag boat they tell you it's not a rescue boat or anything until something like that happens i mean they had that thing on pad and they were running to us like uh, as soon as that call came in. Wow. So, I mean, and, and we were fine, but it was so cold that morning. I mean, the water temps were like fifties. So they were starting to worry about us getting too cold. So, I mean, they picked us up and rushed us back and, uh, somebody stayed with the boat for us, but I mean, they were, they did an incredible job, you know, you know, making sure we are a hundred percent safe. So, wow. And so when that happens, like what, it's kind of similar to your hamstring injury. Like that's, that's something that, it's just kind of a freak thing. Like it yes, just sir. blew out. Yes, sir. So when you get back in the boat to go for the next time, like what, what's your mindset? Like you've had this accident. Obviously you had to get back in the boat at some point and get back on the horse and, and ride. You got bucked, you know? Right. So what's, what's that like? It, it was a, pretty long time frame for me i mean a lot of people we, we actually went back out fishing that day but we never cranked the motor or anything i mean we stayed like running a troll motor because it was but i mean i got a lot of like ptsd from it i mean just because every time i'd get behind the wheel of a boat i would see myself flying through the air i would see everything that happened i'd go to sleep at night and i'd see it i'd relive it all the time and i wanted to fish but every time you get back in the boat i mean unless you run blindfolded you gotta drive 
Right. So, I mean, it, it took probably about six months and then I went to another college tournament and, you know, we would drive slow and stuff like that, but it probably took me a full year to really get back in it and get some more seat time, uh, you know, to where I was comfortable to where I could start to focus on fishing again. Hmm. But I mean, I still, I I'm way more relaxed now. Um, but for like probably about the, a year after that, I mean, every time I get in the boat, I didn't want to run far. I just want to start fishing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I can imagine like, and so what's, you know, on something like that, what's the lesson? Because like you said, you, you had maintained your gear, you've, you've done all the right things and you have this blowout. So what's, what's the take home for you? So honestly, I mean, it's, it sounds cliche, but it's, there's been a lot of things that have happened in my life, hamstring this, et cetera. The list goes on for being so young that I feel like, you know, I've really paid attention to the things that have happened. Um, you know, just continue to, to remind me to live life to the fullest, <laughs> you know, like we, we, and it's so cliche, but I mean, it, there's a lot of truth behind that. Because we, we go through life, you know, a million miles an hour, you know, we'll get off work, we'll run to the grocery store, we'll eat dinner, we'll go to sleep, you know, we'll kiss our wife good night, and then next thing you know, we'll wake up, you know, my wife's out the door, I'm to work, and next thing you know, you're like, man, you're not even hardly, you know, we're spending quality time together, but you blink and, you know, sometimes I felt like I wasn't taking the time to appreciate every little thing, you know, the simplest, you know, phone call, you know, conversation like we're having, I mean, it's great, but we go through life so fast that we just forget to pay attention to the small things and every little, you know, detail. Yeah. And so when that happened for me, I was like, you know, this is just, there's a reason this happened, but you know, we did everything correct. Like you said, but it still happened. So you can't control everything in life. You can make sure you set yourself up, you know, for survival. Like we did wearing a kill switch, a life jacket, but you can't control everything. And so, you know, you know, I pray when I get drive home that my truck truck tire doesn't blow or somebody hits me blindside or something. I make it back home safe, but I can't guarantee that. And so the biggest picture I learned is, you know, whether it's fishing, whether it's spending time with your wife, your kids, your, you know, family is just live every moment like it's your last. And it's so cliche because I heard my dad tell me when I was growing up, you know, but I mean, there's a lot of truth to that because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Right. So in your daily life, I mean, like you, this changed, basically changed everything in your life, this, this accident. How long was it before, was there like a period of time of, of trying to figure out what you just explained to me, like that this happened for a reason and then this is going to be how you live your life from this point forward or? It was, I mean, it, it probably took me, you know, there's probably a year of contemplating all this going, why did this happen? You know, cause that was essentially my senior season of college fishing. And I was like, man, I got to catch them. Cause you know, at this point, baseball got taken away from me from a freak accident. I'm like, man, I want to make it in something because I'm still so competitive. And I still got that drive to compete. I was like, man, I want to make it in fishing now. Cause I had had a couple of top twenties and stuff. And I mean, that, that feels good, you know, competing at that level. And I'm like, man, this is my senior season. I got to catch them first tournament out of the gate. And this happens Mm -hmm. a boat accident. I'm like, man, what else is going to get taken from me? So that's kind of what I'm thinking. And then I stood back and I realized, you know, just doors are opening and closing for a reason. (laughs) So it took me about a year to realize that. 
and or it probably took me about six months because that's when I filmed the PSA with the National Saint Boning Council. And next thing you know, phone calls start happening, emails start happening, new doors start opening. I never would have imagined from something I could have never, you know, was out of completely out of my control. <laughs> and you're married. Yes, sir, I am. How long have you been married? Uh, I'll be two years tomorrow. All right. Yes, sir. So how long ago was this accident? It was in 2017. We had only been engaged for about two months, I Okay. Did she think that it changed you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we always have to have our phones off, you know, during the tournament. You can't get any outside information or something. It's never recommended to call your bride-to-be, like, you know, at 8 (laughs) a.m. On a tournament day, you're not allowed to have your phone on. (laughs) (laughs) And so, but but she's told you that that she thinks you're a different person after the accident i i mean she hasn't directly said that but i mean she's she's hinted at it a lot and we've kind of had a lot of conversations about it just the way that i approach things now you know i used to simple things didn't matter as much as they do now Hmm. to me like what kind of simple things i'm just going out to dinner i mean like you know we would go out to dinner and have a date or something but now it's like a date because I look at it when you go through something that's like a near death experience, I guess you could call that, that you're like, my goodness, like if I don't have one of these tomorrow, I better make this one count. And that's honestly how like I live my life now, just because it changed from that accident. Right. That's pretty cool. Um, So the PSA, was that your idea or did somebody propose that to you? Um, I was actually driving. We had about a four or five hour drive back um, from that event to think. And I was like, man, I wonder how I can help somebody with this just because I was so thankful to be alive. I just didn't know how else to channel those feelings. You're talking to your partner about it? Yes, sir. A little bit. And, um, then, you know, everybody copes with it differently. He didn't want to talk about it as much. I don't think so. I tried not to bring it up as much because it's a, it's a interesting topic. Yeah. And, um, for some reason for me, I was just like, man, I just got to talk about it. I just got to tell people, you know, wear your life jacket and your kills switch. That's what I wanted to do. And at this time, we had, right after I start having these thoughts, we had waited two days and we put it on YouTube. And <laughs> it was like, we woke up and there was like 100,000 views. We go to sleep the next night and I, I had to go to class. So I was commuting to class for like 45 minutes. I check my phone when I get out of class and I have like 18 missed calls. <laughs> and they're from all over the country. And I'm like, I got a voicemail from like FLW's PR rep saying, hey, you're getting thousands of calls here. We're fielding them all for you, all this stuff. So it's probably at that point where two days go by, there's like 300,000 views on YouTube. And within probably four weeks, there's a million. Hmm. Now there's like 2.6 or 2.7 million. So it took like those six months for me, or I mean, a couple of days for me to see what was happening in that YouTube video. And I was getting ready to start contacting people, just let them know, Hey, if I can help and tell my story, I would love to. But in the meantime, they're contacting me. Hmm. So we're like meeting each other in the middle. So that was pretty ironic. Did you get anybody that, that proposed anything that you weren't comfortable with? Uh, not really. I mean, most everybody saw what I wanted to do and just took it as what it is. Like, let's show people that if you wear a life jacket and a kill switch, it really will save your life. Mm -hmm. What, and and today you wear uh, an automatic inflating, yes, sir, as I opposed do. to I the wear, manual. Yes, sir. I I've spent a lot of time researching it now, and I actually went up to uh, Canada 
uh, to Mustang Survival's plant, and I got to see everything firsthand, and um, I got to see all the testing that goes into it. So I not only trusted their products because we were both wearing a Mustang Survival life jacket, and I mean that saved my life. So I have a lot of respect for what they do. Yeah, and I got to go up and give a talk to all their employees, and that's probably one of the most special things I've done, just to tell everybody every asset. You know, everybody's an asset there. Whether you're in sales, you know, whether you're making them, whether you're putting them in retailers, it all goes hand in hand. And so I wear an inflatable now just because I see the people that are behind it. I see how it's made. I see how many tests they do. They test like 10% of everything. And I'm not talking like, you know, they just dunk it in water for 20 minutes. I'm talking stuff sits in tanks for like hours to make sure nothing leaks, etc. Hmm. So I wear an inflatable now because I learned through all this process that uh, like a Mustang's Elite 28 has 28 pounds of buoyancy. Well, it's actually one and a half times the amount of buoyancy than your standard foam life jacket hmm. that we've all grown up wearing. Yeah. Yeah. They just came on as a sponsor of, um, of the Florida skiff challenge, which yes, I'll sir. be doing. And, um, that's good to know that, that you have such confidence in, in their products. So that's what we'll be wearing yes, sir. as we go all the way around the state of Florida. Awesome. Yeah, we start at Florabama, right. go around Key West, wow. and then back up to like right around here. Uh, yeah, it's a long race. <laughs> it's going to take like 40 race. hours. Wow. There's only about 4 million chances of flying out of the boat. Right. During, you know? right. Better have something to believe in. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I was thinking about wearing two two life jackets, <laughs> like a foam one and that, because, I mean, we're going at night too, right. which makes it even worse. Right. And going despite the weather, whatever that turns out to be last year, it was really bad. I didn't do it last year, but the weather was really bad. And of course they go anyway. Yes, sir. Just like in a, in a tournament. Right. You know, it's never going to be like what you hope it is. That's right. Like it's always, <laughs> always the worst weather when the tournaments come around. That's right. So, um, so now like you're, you're out of college you got the boating safety thing going. Where what where do you see like the next few years going for for you? Like you got any other projects you're working on? Um I, I actually uh just just became a, a college fishing coach for uh Florida Gateway College. So I'm I'm starting that. Okay. Um I'm actually kind of toying with starting kind of my own brand just based on what I've been through. Just, you know, I don't envision it being anything giant uh but if i help a couple people through it that would be cool yeah um so i'm doing all this boating safety stuff fishing the bassmaster opens on the easterns um now a college fishing coach so that's pretty exciting because i get to use what i learned at you know uf as being a president and my experience in college fishing my experience now you know being this will be my third year doing you know speaking and fishing full-time um, so kind of get to share that experience and hopefully help some kids get to the next level. So as a college fishing coach, like what does that look like? It's, uh, I'm still navigating all that. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, because, it's a, it's a whole new thing really. Right. I mean, it, when I started, when I became a freshman, I mean, we, there was a lot of guys, our meetings were like ordering pizza and we all just be sinking sitting around going, so where are we going to fish next week? Yeah. And now, like, I mean, I got friends now through all my speaking stuff that run college programs. And uh, I was telling Shaw the other day, some of these guys at my last college national championship, I fished for Boat US. We rolled into the parking lot and there's like 
brand new dodges all wrapped in the college. I'm like, what in the world has college fishing grown to? Yeah. So, I mean, this whole college coaching scene has, has changed. And there's a lot of colleges now that have started um, to, you know, acquire coaches just to basically navigate and help excel that program. Because when I was in college, we were learning everything as we go. And honestly, we're, I, I feel like I took a lot of time away from my fishing because I'm running all the logistics. Mm-hmm. So my goal is to help those kids focus on their fishing. And you know whether they want to be a professional angler, whether they want to work in the industry, or whether they just want to learn more about the fishing industry, I want to use all my experiences to basically you know jumpstart them and cut out the learning curve for the right. most part for them that I had to learn. So do you have, like, do you have anybody helping you? Uh, yes, sir, I do. So, uh, a guy I actually travel with and a good buddy of mine, Ron Riles, and then we're both very excited to be joining Shaw Grigsby as well wow. as a college fishing coach. So that's, uh, it's, it's pretty exciting for me. Uh, Ron, Ron's a great buddy of mine and we get to fish the opens together and we become great friends over the years. And, uh, Shaw is actually somebody I've looked up to my entire life. And I, I actually got to tell Shaw, you know, thank you the other day. Cause you know, I feel like a lot of times we never know who we touch. And I told told Shaw thanks the other day because I actually worked uh, Miller's Boating Center um, in Ocala, Florida. I actually uh, worked an event there when I was in college. They have a huge boat show every year. Shaw's always there. You know, I'd get to you know see a lot of the guys that I've always grown up watching. Well, one thing leads to another, and I'm there early, and I was still I was like a junior at UF, I think. So I, at this point, I was understanding, you know, man, I need to do everything I can in this industry. You know, you have a couple good finishes, but you need all the other sales stuff and the marketing to go along with it. I show up at, at Miller's. Next thing you know, I get put to work, like <laughs> selling shoes of all things. I'm like, somebody, some marketing rep, like saw me in a UF uniform. He's like, hey, bud, will you help me, you know, pass out some of these shoes and, you know, gloves and stuff. And I was like, I mean, sure. Well, next thing you know, an hour goes by and I'm showing off this product. And I mean, man, I'm ex- I'm ecstatic because I've somebody picked me to, you know, help market their right. product. Next thing you know, Shaw walks up and he goes, hey, bud, uh, can you come help me do a seminar? I'm like, say what? I mean, Shaw tells me he wants me to do a seminar with him. Right. So I'll never forget. I mean, he, he calls me up there and we start talking about college fishing. And I mean, this is, this is probably five or six years ago now so we start talking about college fishing and what it's what opportunities are out there how i'm trying to make it to the next level and everything and in the meantime he's he's preparing me and i have no clue especially with what we're doing now i have no clue and he's also we're in the middle of talking about this big crowd of people at a boat show and i've never done this i'm completely out of my comfort zone in the process he's like well tell me about those shoes you got on because i was wearing the shoes they're they're having me sell and he he's just you know throwing me into the fire if you will but i had no clue what principles and values he was teaching me when i was in college so when i had the opportunity to join a coaching staff with him and ron i mean it was a no-brainer for me and it's really really special to get to, you know, for somebody you've looked up to your whole time to join a coaching staff with them. And somebody really, he has no clue how just those small principles, you know, and I tried to share that with them the other day, uh, just how much it meant to me 
Yeah. That not only I get to coach with him now, but how much he's done for me in my career, just in the small things of throwing you in the fire to talk at a seminar. Cause oh. now I talk all over the country. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, man, you're, you don't, you're not going to find a better person to learn from. That's than exactly Shaw right. Grigsby. That's exactly he is, right. uh, not only is he got uh tremendous experience, um, but he's, he's truly one of the best people I've ever met. Yes. Like, he's an incredible individual. Not only is he a great fisherman, but he is, he's just a great compassionate person, loves the sport and he loves to teach. And that's really what I, you know, like the most is how much he's willing to, he's not some of these guys that you'll see might, you know, ah, I got to get back to my boat and truck. I got to hit the road. That guy will stop talk to anybody because he knows he's helping somebody. And that's mm-hmm. pretty, yeah, he pretty always, awesome. he's always liked helping people. I mean, that's been a consistent constant thing with him um since the first time i ever met him and uh, i learned a lot from shaw he's he's a remarkable guy that uh it's it's great that he's found time to put himself in that position to help young anglers yes like sir. i know that he would always value that right but i mean he's got a family of his own and he's got grandchildren and he's got a career and he's got all this other stuff going on like at some point there's just not enough time right but I see, I can kind of tell, and I'm interested in talking to him about it, that maybe things have slowed down a little bit, you know, like his, his family's grown and, and it offers him time to maybe devote towards helping young people. And, uh, wow, what a, what a great experience that's going to be. So is there a season or is it year round? It's pretty much going to be year round. I mean, a lot of the college tournaments happen in the spring, but I mean, the, like the national championships and stuff the guys will qualify for or or ladies um will be mid uh like june july august area but then you know in the real world like i'm used to um that you know we'll have all those guys you know uh involved in you know seminars kids events stuff like that um, and so like the business side really gets kicked off when you finish fishing, like September, October, you got two months to get everything ironed out to get right back on the road again in January. So how much of the coaching like that you'll be doing and Shaw will be doing will be about that, about sponsorship, about, um, about delivery to the sponsors, about making a sales deck, about how you sell yourself to a sponsor or how I mean, how much do you anticipate that that's going to be a part of this? It'll it'll probably be a pretty big part uh, of the coaches. Um, and at the same time, you know, I, I envision us being able to share that with our, you know, guys or gals, too. And because my biggest thing is helping them learn about the entire industry of fishing and the marketing side um, from the get go. Um, so I think it a lot like the sponsorship stuff will play a big key, even, you know, booking rooms, helping them with, you know, practice, you know, like Shaw has a ton of experience on different bodies of water and stuff. So he'll be able to give a lot of great insight. You know, Ron and I already joke, we're going to be listening to him. (laughs) Yeah, you will. So, I mean, it's like, that's, what's cool for us. We're actually learning from him. Um, you know, and I, I've, you know, fished in college before, so I know a lot of the logistics of like, you know, tournaments and qualifiers and things like that and just how college fishing sets up. But a a lot of it will be kind of the behind the scenes business side of it, um, that we hope to share with those, um, guys and gals too. Man, I mean, you know, Shaw can offer a lot as far as how to fish a certain lure in a certain, uh, body of water and how to dissect that 
you know, how to eliminate lots of things so you can concentrate on just a couple of things. That's all incredibly valuable advice, but it just seems like a guy like that, that has been doing this for so long and has, has done every part of this business that the true incredible value, not that, not to downplay what he's going to offer as far as technical fishing advice. I mean, obviously he's got that too, but it just seems like that, that kind of helping navigate through the, the, the whole business world may be some of the most valuable. It may fall on deaf ears in a lot of cases because you got young people that are just, they just want to win. But like we were talking about earlier, if you can't turn it into a business that actually keeps your head above water, then you're going to go back to doing whatever you were doing before, or it's not going to be a viable option. Right. That's, that's such a, such a f- weird fine line to walk. Like, it is. Like you want to go win. And what does that have to do with social media? Like, right. What does that have to do with, you know, selling shoes? Right. But it, it goes hand in hand. It does. And I mean, it's always like, you know, those good generic impressions that you can get from all aspects of that. But I mean, I had a, a big sponsor recently tell me, hey, if we get a dealer that calls us um, because you were, you know, very helpful to that dealer, it's pretty much as good as you win in any tournament. And at that point in time, I was like, man, the big picture here. Mm-hmm. And that's what's exciting. Like, you know, we were having a, a a meeting and discussion with some of the administrators from the college and stuff the other day. And, you know, I was talking, uh, you know, we were talking about sponsorships a little bit and I had kind of thrown out some stuff and Shaw had thrown out some stuff. And I was like, Shaw, am I on the right path? And he said, absolutely. And so then like, even for me, like it's, I haven't been at this, but you know, I'm going in my third year. So even for me, it's just like comfort having somebody that knowledgeable next to you that's confirming a lot of the stuff that we're brainstorming lets me know personally I'm headed in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And I hope that, you know, I'm going to absorb a lot of it, but there's a lot of stuff he's going to be able to share just in the business side of it. Not let alone all the fishing knowledge. I mean, more, more than you realize. I mean, I remember when, when I first met Shaw, he told me, he was like, yeah, we do Joyce Julius and all that stuff. And I was like, what is that? And there was no internet to go look up Joyce Julius. So I had to figure out what in the world this was. And I guess it was a, a PR agency that would um, do all the the work for you to determine how many impressions you were you were doing. And this is before, I mean, like now a 10 year old could do it on the internet, what they were doing back then, but they would go, they'd be like, okay, you were in this tournament and that was on this network at this time. And then they'd get the Nielsen ratings and they'd say that many people saw it. And then you had, you had, you put a stopwatch on it. Okay. You were on screen and those logos were on screen for this amount of time. And so we'll do a, a little, little equation that says, these are the the super high quality impressions that you were able to to generate, and all this was brand new to me. I was just fishing guide in Key West, like whoa, right. like that's business, like right. that is like I don't I didn't know that that's how it happened, and then then but it all became you know that seems like super overwhelming until he says, look, you are worth your audience. It's like okay. I don't necessarily need to know all the numbers. I just need to know that the audience continues to grow. Right. Right. And, and that 
I'm taking the steps necessary that, that, that audience grows. And so, you know, at one point it's, you fish 300 days a year, each with one person, your audience is 300 people basically. And, you know, how can you make that bigger? Yeah, you're great. And you're catching fish and every, all of those 300 people love what you do and they're all buying rods and reels, but you only sold 300 of them. Right. How do you sell 300 at a time? Right. How do you sell 3000 at a time? How do you sell 50,000 at a time? And that's like, okay, well, you have the same message, the same passion, the same enthusiasm, and you do it on TV in front of 500,000 people. And then that's how you sell 50,000 at a time. And that that's when it clicked for me too. Just like you're talking about with, with him telling you all these things and you're like, okay, the big picture, I'm seeing it now. I'm seeing it clear and it's not all about winning and it's not all about selling. It would be super sweet if you could do both. Right. Like that's like Kevin Van Dam right, right? Right. and Shaw. Right. I mean, like they've done both. Right. They've won and they, they, do a great job for their sponsors and, right. and what a great role model, you know, for, for you and for all of the, um, the, the upcoming young anglers, you should, you should take it upon yourself to video. Like when he's doing his little coaching things, you never know, man. I mean, Shaw, he might do this for a couple of years and just not have time for it anymore or, or, or move on to his next project or whatever, but you should film all that uh, like as an archive right. for a future. I mean, maybe it's on, maybe you only get him for a year. I mean, like a guy like that, man, he's got a lot of people pulling at him, mm -hmm. you know, it's a, it's a huge blessing to have it is. the opportunity. But you should really time. think about filming or recording those lessons in some way, shape or form, because it's going to be like, bombs of knowledge being dropped left That's and right, exactly that, right that even upon listening to it at first you might not even get it like sometimes you sometimes you know somebody can give you some incredible advice or some incredible knowledge and you're just not ready to receive it yet you don't understand enough to know that what he just said is the key to it all like it just goes in in one ear and out the other right but if you listen to that again, like, like there's this, you know, there's this book, Think and Grow Rich. Have you ever heard of that book? No, sir. Well, it's a, it's a great book. Everybody should read it. When you read it and you're 20, you're like, wow, that's pretty cool. Then you go back to it at 30 and you're like, wow, <laughs> right. that's got a lot of secrets to it. You read it at 40 and you're like, oh my God, he just <laughs> told everybody in the world right. how to do what. And then you read it at 50 and you're like, God, if I had just known it when I was 20, if this book had meant as much to me then, right. but it's like you have enough worldly experience to where all of a sudden you realize, oh, that is exactly that. Every secret is not a secret. It's been here all along. Just wasn't ready to receive it. Right. And that's where like, I, I would think that like if you were to record those things and then you play them back, you know, next year and the year after and the year after, however long you, you intend on coaching, that that could be a part of the curriculum. And hopefully you're lucky enough that he'll, he'll keep doing it. Right. And maybe, maybe you will, but you just always just like, just like your hamstring and your accident, man, it could just, hey, all of a sudden he gets a, I don't know. I don't know what he would have. Like, I don't know. He's could, shocker. Yeah, I know he can make stuff happen. You know, so <laughs> I would say that the, the likelihood of him continuing that from here on out is, is not as good as the likelihood of him, uh, having a, something else pulling on him that, that, doesn't offer as much time. Maybe he comes and does it a little bit, but 
you got right. a great opportunity this year. Absolutely. And then with Rob too. I mean, like, like Rob's part of that too. Rob mm-hmm. Chapman. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know anybody that knows more about how to build social media than, than him. <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I kind of want to come down and, and be a, be a, uh, what do you call that when you, when you take a class and you, but, but it doesn't count. What do you call that? Just almost like guess. Well, no, it's like, oh, there's a term for it where yeah. you audit, you audit a class. Right. There you go. And I want to audit your, your, your bass all, fishing all the class. bass fishing class. <laughs> I think you, you should though. That that's that's incredible. Like, I know because I mean, like the general public, if you had sponsorship or fishing one hundred and one with Shaw Grigsby and everybody else, I'm, I mean, my goodness, it would be like tickets only, fifty people sold out in five minutes. I know. And these these anglers are going to be able to have that experience for an entire year yeah. at a time. Yeah, that's it's pretty incredible. Yeah. Well, I guess what are the what are the requirements to stay in the program? Like you would think like I, I've got two boys at Montana State and and they love hunting and fishing and one of them, my younger son, he almost fished at um SCAD. Okay. And uh he was talking to the coach and then he decided, Yeah, I don't I don't know if this is for me and he did went went a different direction. And uh then that program since dissolved. Yes, sir. Um, but there were scholarships there. Right. So do yours, does your uh, university offer scholarships for bass we're, fishing? We're, we're going to uh, be working on basically a fishing scholarship. So I, I, we're still figuring out all the logistics, but there are going to be scholarship opportunities where a lot of the, if they are on scholarship, a lot of their fishing is pretty much all their fishing is going to be covered. See, that's a, that's an interesting thing too, like that Shaw could probably help and Rob could help with and, and all of these, these mentor type people is, is start figuring out how there might be opportunities for sponsorship or opportunities for, for uh, donorship that would equate to one or two scholarships a year. Right. You know, and, and those guys, they can figure it out. Right. You know, and they know the the people that might be interested in that and the, and the situations that someone finds themselves in that, that they would want to donate that kind of money for tax purposes or, or whatever, so that they could have this, fishing scholarship yes sir and, and the cool part about it is too that i learned a little bit when i was in college if you think about it like when i'm building my own media kit and everything i'm and we were just talking about impressions and everything we're building it on one individual whether that's me or if shaw's doing his or whatever we're building it on ourselves the great thing about college fishing is say you have a, a title sponsor come to the table if we got 10 15 people all wearing that same jersey with that title sponsor with prominent branding that's 10 or 15 times the exposure that one angler would get Mm -hmm. because how big college fishing is now i mean it gets replayed on you know espn and world fishing network and stuff i mean all this stuff is televised so if you are you know you got 15 chances to be on tv or if you get multiple teams that do well that's two individuals two anglers on the stage or on tv getting interviewed at the same time but you could have multiple teams right so that's a there's a lot of value in that that when you're calculating college fishing stuff that's unique to college fishing right because you're doing it on a team basis not an individual basis plus then you have the whole angle of 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 growing the sport and and this this has long been a a challenge for everyone in freshwater and saltwater fishing is as as social media grows as video games become more 
popular, more, more, um, you know, <laughs> all consuming for kids, right? There's fewer and fewer kids getting outside. And so as you start, I mean, every company that I work with is interested in how you got any ideas for how we get more kids involved in, in the outdoors, not even just fishing, just how do we get them off the couch and outside? Right. And that's where like this college fishing has also got a tremendous amount of value for, for the whole industry, because absolutely, like, if it's, if it's popular, then you have kids that want to do it at 10 and 11 years old thinking I'm going to fish in college. Right. So if you're going to fish in college, well, you got to get really good while you're between 10 and 18 years old. So right. those are, those are really important years that, that could help get them outside. Right. right. I mean, it's a, it's kind of, maybe they fish in college, maybe they don't, but if they have any desire to, maybe they go fishing five more times a year than, and that's, that's, that's a win. Absolutely. Right there. It's a big Absolutely. win. So, um, so where can people, um, follow you? And like, if you, if, if, do you have anything that, that the people that listen to this podcast could help you with or, or, support you in any way um i mean just uh i would really appreciate anybody following along with all the boating safety stuff i'm doing and like kids fishing events and stuff where do they see that uh facebook and instagram it's hunter bland fishing okay um and then i'm actually getting ready to actually start a, a brand called not finished fishing um so and i'm using a lot of that to it's, it's kind of a play on words we're not finished fishing but is it every, not finished like with a k it's actually just not okay but yeah i know i thought about it <laughs> i thought that was a little too cheesy yeah yeah uh, that's like just add water on a on a saltwater boat or, or right. real salty <laughs> <laughs> like i decided i was never going to name a boat real anything <laughs> r-e-e-l that's right i contemplated i was like nah it's just real too cheesy. not no but i uh or I, not real right that's right go. not real but I started that because, uh, you know, it's it's a way I have goals to eventually, um, you know, we're just coming out with some hats and stuff like that to start. But I have goals for that to fund college fishing scholarships and be able to give back to the industry. And it's a lot of, you know, kind of my my brand as you wake up every day. You're not finished. You're not finished with life, though. So that's, you know, it's, I like that. That's it's good. pretty. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we we appreciate all the support, and you know, it's going to be exciting what what this college fishing stuff, uh, and you know, the new coaching. And what about the uh, what about following your your university team? How how does somebody that's gonna do be, that? That's going to be. We're still working on all the details. What our you know social platforms are going to be. That's Florida Gateway College, so it's going to be the. What Tim city Lewis. is that in? Uh, it's in uh, Lake City. Okay. How yes, many sir. students in that school? That I don't don't know. It's a small medium it's, school. It's it's a smaller school. Yes, so sir. many of the like UCF. I I was my daughter's thinking about different schools. We looked at that one, and that's like one of the biggest school. I couldn't believe Absolutely. how big that school is. Absolutely, it's sprawling and huge, it's and it's one that you ginormous. don't really hear that much about. I mean, as a as opposed to like the University of Florida or right. something like that. But uh, yeah, you never know. I, I never know what the size of of, of schools are because like MTSU in Tennessee, that's bigger than. University of Tennessee. I don't, right. Most people don't realize that. But right. It's like, wow, you hear this. It seems like a little school, but it can be a giant one. Yes, sir. Um, well, good luck to you, man. That's Thank a, you, you got a lot of good man. things going on. It's Thank fun you. to talk to you. And yes, sir, I'm you glad too. that you were wearing your kill switch and your and your life jacket. Me too, man. Because you got a lot more to give. Thank so you, uh, anyway, well, thanks, Hunter. I yes, appreciate sir. it. Thank you, man. We'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Thank you.